of our folks from our church, uh, Mike Harbin, our missions minister. They are in Guatemala. They left yesterday, and they are in Guatemala today, um, starting to build a house for a, a family there. So we're excited. Please keep those folks uh, in your in your prayers. I'm glad that they get the opportunity to do that. And I'm, I'm, I can't name all 17, so sorry. I just know we're very thankful that those people have chosen to do that. Well, we're glad you're here this morning. We've been doing a, a series called Practice Makes Permanent. And today we're going to look at another aspect of something Jesus wanted us to make permanent in our lives. And I want to start by a story by a guy named Bob Goff, G-O-F-F. If you've not read his book called Love Does, it's a great book. Very humorous, but uh, very impactful as well. But anyway, he tells a series of stories in this book um, about different things in life. But specifically, he talks about getting into law school. He wanted to, to be a lawyer. And um, he said, I didn't do very good in high school. And my parents were always giving me brochures to go to trade school and things like that because they didn't have much confidence in me either. And I kind of goofed off during my college years. But then I decided I wanted to go to uh, law school. So he said, I, I started sending out applications. I heard you need to take this thing called the LSAT. And I got a, a book, a used book to kind of know about the test. I went and took the test and realized I was way out of my league and didn't do very good on that. And he said, all, out of all the applications I sent out to go to law school, I got nothing but no's except for the one school I really wanted to go to. I didn't get an acceptance letter, but I didn't get a rejection letter either. So this is the one school he said I wanted to go to. So he said, I decided to go to the school and talk to the dean and, and see if there was possibly some mistake, if uh, I really should have been accepted. So he went to talk to the dean at this particular school, and the dean kind of informed him that, yeah, we saw your grades and your LSAT score, so yeah, you're not really uh, going to make it here. And he says, well, you know, you could, with your power, just say the words, Go get your books, and I could enroll here right now. And uh, Dean just kind of smiled at him, put his hand on his shoulder, and started escorting him out the door. Like, now that's not going to happen for you here, Bob. And uh, so he left, but he was not deterred by this. He decided that there was about five days till school started. So there was a bench outside the dean's office, and he decided he was going to go every single morning and stay there every day and ask him to say those words, go get your books. So that's what he did for the next five days. He says, I memorized his schedule. I knew when he went to the bathroom. I knew when he came in. I knew he went to the gym a couple of days a week and then came back. And I was standing there going, all you got to do is say the words. Go get your books and you can let me in. And at first he kind of just got annoyed by him. Then he started trying to ignore him, but he was there for five straight days. Then school started. And Bob says, well, I'm going to keep going. Maybe there's some chance of you know, just getting in with the school and seeing all these things. Maybe it'll change his mind. So he sat out there. First day of school, second day of school, third day of school, and just sat there. And every time he says, all you got to do is say the words. And he's really kind of getting annoyed with, with Bob now. But he says, finally, on the, on the fifth day, he says, I was thinking, this is not going to happen for me. But he sat out there, and finally, he says, on the fifth day after school started, the dean finally stopped by the bench. He looked me squarely in the eyes, and he winked at me and said, go get your books. He says, those were the greatest four words that really changed my life forever. And he was able to get into law school, and he graduated, and he is a lawyer, and he's a pretty amazing guy that's done a lot of things all over the world. So I don't know if that kind of persistence, you've ever had to do that in your life. Maybe you know somebody that's had that kind of persistence. Maybe it's been somebody 
Uh, maybe it's been one of your kids. They wanted something. They just bugged you over and over and over again. Maybe you've bugged your parents for something. Maybe you bugged your boss about something, your spouse about something. It might be, I don't know who it is, a friend about doing this or doing that. But finally, after you just bugged them to death, they say, okay, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. So we kind of know what that kind of persistence is. But today we want to look at, you know, does that kind of persistence always pay off? Well, no, it doesn't. But interestingly enough, being relentlessly persistent to the point of wearing someone down so that they will act on your behalf is actually something that Jesus talked about we should do in our prayers. Now, that may seem a little odd to you, but when we read Jesus' parable today where he talks about this, I'll think, I'll, I think you will see that's exactly what Jesus said. That's how we should pray, be persistent like that, almost to a point that it's uh, extremely persistent to the point of wearing somebody down. So we're going to look at uh, Luke Luke's gospel this morning, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 18, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Hopefully that'll be on the screen for us. There it is. Thank you. And you can look on your personal devices or, or on your own personal Bible. But listen to what Jesus says here. Luke tells us this. He says, Then Je Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me or wear me out, some versions say. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for those for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Luke tells us this parable at the very beginning that Jesus told this to his disciples because he wanted them to always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. So what do we need to know from this parable? Well, if Jesus wanted his disciples to pray and not give up, and we are his disciples, and we're following him like they did, prayer is a practice that Jesus obviously wants us to have persistently in our life and to practice. And for us to practice that, it means making time for it. He wants us to practice it in such a way that it becomes a permanent part of our life. Now, I don't know about you, but we think about our prayer life now. Mine's not where I would like it to be. Sometimes we just check the box with prayer, don't we? Oh, yeah, we got to eat. Everybody bow your heads. And, you, you know, somebody's already got a French fry halfway down. Like, oh, yeah, sorry. And, you know, you bow your heads when you go to lunch. And sometimes we are forced almost into prayer because something tragic happens and we need to pray for, for someone. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. And, and we're, we're kind of in that mode. But do we really make persistent prayer a part of our everyday life like Jesus did? Prayer is certainly something that needs to be a permanent part of our relationship with God. It has to be. It's a communication with God that involves multiple aspects or elements that we can use. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus taught about prayer on the Sermon on the Mount. You've probably read that, heard about it. And he said, it's not like the hypocrites, Jesus said. Don't be like them, those who pray these long flowery prayers out in public so everybody will hear them and try to draw attention to how self-righteous they are. You don't pray like that. He said, go into your room and close the door, and that's how you should pray. Be alone, completely alone with God where there's no distractions and nobody else, and talk to your heavenly Father who is in heaven. 
And we also have recorded in Matthew and Luke the teaching that what we know is the Lord's Prayer. Have y'all ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? I don't know how popular that is. A lot of y'all can raise your hand. I remember doing that a lot uh, when I was uh, playing sports in high school. We used to pray that before a lot of games. You can't do that anymore because you'll offend somebody, you know. Um, but we used to pray that. I remember that. And so it basically, a lot of y'all know this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Some of y'all can go right along with me. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we forgive our debtors or those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then there was this part in Matthew and Luke, they both talk about this, but there's a part that was added over the years. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Y'all remember that part? That's actually not in Scripture. So I was like, well, where did that come from? It's kind of a doxology, if you will, that was added on. And I was reading about the history of that. Uh, you know, you Google it and you start looking at all these things on the Internet. And the Catholics blame the Protestants and the Protestant blame the Catholics. Like, oh, you were putting things into God's Word that you weren't supposed to. But actually, I found something that was very interesting, that this is probably a version from something in the Old Testament that David used in a prayer that somebody kind of tacked on to the end as kind of a doxology. So listen to this prayer from David in First Chronicles from the Old Testament. David says this, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. So you can see where some of those words got tacked on from this because they're very, very similar. And David certainly uh, a very heartfelt prayer there. We also find many times in the gospel that Jesus went out early in the morning to go pray by himself, to be alone with God, exactly like he told people they should pray. This is what he did. He went out by himself. Luke in, in chapter 5, verse 17 says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Lonely places where there was nobody else around. It's just for Jesus and God to connect and reaffirm, God, I know what you've called me to do. And as we think about those prayers, those must have been powerful prayers that Jesus had with his father, God, as he was praying alone. Like, what is it, God, you know, all these things, these people are against me, the religious leaders, give me strength to, to be able to endure that. All these different things that were going on in Jesus' life. And uh, probably the most memorable uh, time of prayer for Jesus was the night before he was crucified. You know, he was with his disciples at the Last Supper. And the Apostle John talks about in great detail of prayers that Jesus had in John 17. If you've never read that, maybe jot that down. Look at prayer in John 17 where Jesus actually prays before they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he talks about Jesus praying for himself. Jesus praying for his disciples that were right there with him. Jesus praying for the disciples, us, that would come along later in the future of history. He prays for us. It's interesting if you read that prayer. And then also Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the prayers that Jesus actually prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you remember, Jesus was, was very upset. He was very sorrowful because he knew he was getting ready to go to the cross. The disciples had heard this, but they weren't quite connecting with what was really getting ready to happen that next day. And Jesus said, pray with me. And he would go over somewhere else by himself and pray. And you remember those prayers. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but your will be done. 
So what I want us to hear in that prayer when Jesus said, there's things that we're going to ask for in life, and we can be very persistent, because we know in these passages from Matthew, Mark, and Luke that Jesus three times prayed this, Father, take this cup from me if there's any way, but not my will but yours. But did God take that cup from him? He did not. We know that was something that had to happen, even though from a human standpoint, Jesus did not want to go through that suffering and pain on the cross that day. So what do we need to know about this prayer life that Jesus had? Well, Jesus modeled to us what he said to do. In Matthew, he said, go, go somewhere by yourself. And the, the, the disciples several times saw Jesus get up early and go and pray for hours. Or they'd say, where were you all night? He goes, well, I was praying. And finally, that's what drew them to ask him, teach us to pray. We've heard our religious leaders and their flower when they seem to draw attention to themselves. But we want to know how to pray like you do, Jesus. And that's when he taught them the Lord's Prayer. And when we read the Lord's Prayer, it's not just exactly saying, I've got to say this prayer exactly every time I pray it, but also it's, it's elements in there, acknowledging who God is, acknowledging His kingdom, acknowledging that He gives us our daily bread, acknowledging that we have sins that we need to confess, that we need to forgive others, and that we need to be forgiven, and ultimately that we know God has the power and the answers for everything that we're praying about. So it allowed him, when he went out by himself, to stay in close communication and connection with God, what his will was for Jesus' life, and to keep, in, 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 in first and foremost in his life, that kingdom that God was establishing. Well, what do we need to do? Well, we need to make it a permanent part of our lives, don't we? Now, it may be very important in your life. Continue to bring thanks to God even when he knows about it. You ever think about that? Why am I praying about so-and-so's grandmother when God already knows so-and-so's grandmother. He knows what hospital she's in. He knows everything about what she's going through. He knows the exact um, medical term you call it. He knows who her doctors are. He knows who her family is. He knows everything about her. So why do I need to pray about that? You ever thought about that? He knows. But God wants us to pray anyway because he wants to know that we're dependent on him for that healing. That he knows that we know that he knows, but he wants to know that we want to know that we need to know that he is the one who has the power to do this. And his kingdom is first and foremost. Have you ever prayed for something so long and so hard that you didn't see any change in it and you just wanted to give up praying? I have. There's two things that I prayed for more than anything in my life. The two things that I prayed for both did not come out like I was praying for. But that doesn't mean I don't pray anymore or that I, I'm mad at God about it. I wasn't happy I wish they could have come the way I had asked God to, but they didn't. But in the process of literally telling God what I wanted to happen and begging him to make that happen, somehow I still became closer to God in that process. And I bet there's people in here today who know that feeling. Or maybe you're in the middle of that and you say, I'm ready to quit. I remember saying in a prayer, I told somebody this morning, I remember saying in a prayer one time, God, I know you're sick of hearing me say this. Now, I didn't know that. And I'm sure God was going, no, Craig, I'm not sick of hearing you say that. I want to hear you say that. I want to hear you bring that dependence upon me. But this parable reminds us to pray and not give up. Jesus uses this metaphor, this allegory or comparison of this unjust judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought about his decisions. He didn't, he didn't fear God, didn't care what people thought. But this one lady said kept coming to him over and over again. And she was obviously relentless in her request. And that request was, give me justice against my adversary. Now, we don't know what this was. 
Who was her adversary? What was the situation? We don't really know. But she wanted justice from this person. And she knew the only way she could get it was if this judge would grant her that justice. And she needed him to do it. So she kept coming over and over again. Even though the judge refused for some time. We don't know why he refused. Maybe she didn't have a good case. Maybe she was poor and he didn't really care because he said he didn't care what people thought. I don't care. Who is this? What is she going to do if I don't grant her justice? But she kept coming. And he was, and it was denied. But this did not deter her from coming. You ever experienced that kind of persistence? Somebody just keeps coming over and over again. Remind me, me it reminded me of the movie uh, uh, Dumb and Dumber and Jim Carrey. You remember the girl he chases all over the country, and you know, and she's finally like, uh, "This, this is not working." <laughs> and I remember he says uh, he's talking to her, and he's chasing this, been chasing her all over the country, and so finally she just kind of says. Uh, uh, this is this is not happening. He goes, so what are my chances? And she says, um, not good. And he goes, like one in a hundred, not good. And she says, I'd say more like one in a million. And you see this disappointment wash over his face, like, oh, I can't believe she's rejecting me. But then he starts to smile and goes, so you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> yes. You remember that in the movie? It's like, man, then she's going, what am I going to do? This guy's not going to give up. He is persistent. And I think about this is what this lady is like to the judge. I'm not giving up. Like Bob Goff sitting outside that bench, outside the dean's office. I'm not giving up. You're the person that can make this happen for me. And I need you to do it. But finally, the judge is talking to himself. Even though I don't fear God or, or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, this is the parable Jesus told y'all, bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me or wear me out. And that attack me means just kind of beat me up or just stop. And the Greek word actually means to give one intolerable annoyance. Isn't that two great words? Intolerable annoyance. Has anybody in your... School ever been intolerably annoying? Anybody in your family been intolerably annoying? I, I think we've all felt that. But that's what he's talking about. And Jesus tells his disciples, which includes us, if we're really a follower of Jesus, that will not God bring about justice for those chosen ones who cry out day and night? Will he, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? On the earth. Now it's interesting. This 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 woman finally got what she wanted. She finally got justice against her adversary. So what do we need to do? Are we to be intolerably annoying to God in our prayers? Like I don't want to say that. I don't want to be annoying to God. But this parable seems to say exactly that, doesn't it? That's what's interesting about Jesus' parables. We may not like that term. But you at least have to understand that Jesus uses this parable to hammer home the point that he wants us to practice persistent prayer when we're talking to him and bring our requests to him. And we need that in our relationship with him. I don't believe Jesus is saying that if we are persistent that God will answer every prayer like we want. Because there are things that Jesus says where he says, if you ask it in my name and with all the faith, I will grant it. Do you ever struggle with that? You ever had somebody go, well, I guess your faith wasn't strong enough. One of the most cruel things you can say to somebody is that. And I've heard among the Christian community somebody say, well, the reason that God isn't healing you know, your loved one or isn't giving you that job or, or whatever is because you don't really have faith in your prayers. Seriously? When Jesus prayed, please take this cup from me, 
Did God take it from him? No. The Apostle Paul, when he says, I have this thing, it's a thorn in my flesh. We don't know exactly what that was. A lot of people have kind of guessed. But Paul says, I've prayed over and over again for God to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is what? Sufficient for you. I don't understand that. I don't like that. I wish he would take the thorn away. But if Jesus and Paul, and look at some of the folks in the Old Testament, others, if they prayed with faith and it didn't come out, that doesn't mean that they didn't have enough faith. Now, we ought to have faith, obviously, but I think we need to be careful about what Jesus is saying here. I don't believe Jesus is saying that if we're persistent, God will answer every prayer. What if God answered yes to everything? Remember that Jim Carrey movie, Bruce Almighty? Where he said, yes, 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 yes on the computer, and this chaos ensued. It was crazy. And he thought, as I thought about that, this is a silly movie, but I thought, this is right. This is exactly right. If Jesus answered, if God answered yes to every single prayer, could you imagine what would happen in the world? But God has the wisdom and the power and understands what his kingdom is really about. And he knows the answer to those. Well, why do we need to pray like that? Because in the practice of prayer, the persistence of our prayers, we're showing this incredible faith and dependence we have in the ultimate judge, and that's God. God, I know what I'm praying, and I think that's the best thing, and it's seriously, selfishly what I want. And sometimes it's not selfish, something that's for somebody else. But I think that's the right thing to happen, but I trust that God and my persistence will still hear me, still love me, but he's still going to judge justly in all of those situations. And notice the last thing Jesus asked after telling the parables. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, he's talking to his disciples there. Did he find faith on earth while he was there? Jesus says, hey, do I really see faith among you and his own disciples? He's been telling them he's getting ready to go to the cross, and they don't get it. They think they have a strong faith. Peter thinks he has a strong faith, but we know what happened to him, don't we? So he's asking about that. And Jesus actually commends. He's saying, look, I'm asking you about your faith. I believe that he was saying, I have come here to do something about injustice. And the biggest injustice of all the earth is sin. And you need to have that taken care of. You can't do that for yourself. You have to have God. You have to have Jesus, this perfect sacrifice, take care of that ultimately. Real dependence on God and his kingdom and his power and glory. Did he see that on the earth? And Jesus said, hey, I had a hard time finding people that were my own people, Jews, that had the kind of faith that you really need. Jesus commended very few people in the Gospels and their faith, and almost every time it wasn't somebody that was of his own nationality. He had a, a Roman centurion said, look, my daughter is, is very sick. Can you come and heal her? And Jesus said, yeah, take me to her. And he started to walk. He goes, no, no, you don't even need to come. All you have to do is say the word. I understand. I'm a centurion. I say to one of the soldiers, go do this, and he'll go do that. So all you have to do is say the word. And Jesus said, wow, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. And then another time, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, 12 years, she knows that Jesus is in the area and she tries to sneak up and says, if I can just touch his garment, I will be healed. I have the faith that if I can just touch his garment, he has that kind of power. And he does, she does, and she immediately feel, feels that the, the flow of blood has stopped finally. And Jesus stops and goes, somebody touch me. And the disciples go, okay, this is called a mob, Jesus. People are shoving and pushing. They've been doing this for, for months now because of your popularity. How can you ask, who touched me? Jesus says, I felt power leave me. And he looked down 
And the woman was scared, but she had faith. And he says, woman, your faith has healed you. And he commended her and her faith. And that's the kind of faith that I think God wants us to have in those situations. So Jesus was asking them about their faith, and I think he's asking us about our faith today too. And asking us about our relationship with him. Are we going to be persistent in prayer? Or do you look at me as some genie in a bottle to bring about your kingdom and your power and your glory? We need to examine our prayers. But you know what? We have a kind of God that even when we say selfish prayers, he hears them. He knows where we're at and he's trying to work through our relationship. Jesus asks us the same question today. Where is our faith? Does he see a relentless pursuit of him or does he see us in a relentless pursuit of other things? And then we want to shift gears and go, oh yeah, God, help this happen. As I'm relentlessly pursuing all these things that are not of your kingdom, please help it happen. And he's going, you don't understand prayer at all. Because you're supposed to pray for God's kingdom to be first and foremost. I want to give you just a, a, a little thing that might help you with your prayer life. I use this. A lot of people have heard it before. It's called ACTS, A-C-T-S, and it's an acronym for the way we pray. And A stands for adoration. When I pray to God, I first acknowledge who God is, the creator of the universe, my Savior, my God. Then there's confession. The C is confession. I need to confess my sin. I need to confess the things that I've hurt others with, that I've hurt myself, that I've hurt my family. I need to have thanksgiving. That's the T. Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. Thankful for the daily things that you give me. And then there, the last one is S, is supplication. And supplication is actually um, asking God to speak on someone else's behalf. Say, God, please, you know about my grandmother. You know about my friend at church. You know about my friend at school. You know about my job situation. Whatever it may be, you're asking for God to intervene there. So that's just something that may be helpful to you. Acts. John Piper talks about a time where he um, had a, an interview with a, a guy in Korea who was a pastor there. And he really wanted to interview him because he had heard that he actually went and prayed for 40 straight days and fasted. And he, so he went and actually got to meet him and said when he met him, he says, Is it true, I asked him, his name was Jun Gon Kim from Seoul, Korea. He says, Is it really true that you spent 40 days in fasting and prayer prior to the evangelism crusade in 1980? And he said, yes, it's true. Dr. Kim was the chairman of this huge crusade that was going to take place in Korea and was expected to bring one million people to this huge um, plaza in, in Korea. But six months prior to the meeting, the police finally said, we can't let you do this. There's, there's all kind of um, political turmoil going on in the country and Seoul was under martial law. If we do this, it's just too big of a, a, a risk to take. Somebody's going to do something crazy with all this political turmoil going on. But Dr. Kim was not deterred by this, and he got a lot of his um, associate pastors and people from his church, and they agreed to go to this specific mountain and pray and fast for 40 days, and that's what they did. Now, when I hear that kind of stuff, I go, seriously, did they really fast and pray for 40 days? I know Jesus did that, but did they really do that? How do you even not eat for 40 days? Some of us can't go 40 minutes without being hungry. But I think there's probably ways they were maybe just drinking or, or eating very little, but they specifically went and asked God to do something in this situation through fasting and prayer, through being very specific to turn things around. And at the end of the 40 days, and that's very biblical if you think about it, Jesus, when he was tempted, he went out for 40 days and 40 nights and said he did not eat anything. And he got really close to God, but he was tempted by the devil. 
And so they returned and made their way to the police station. And the officer said, oh, by the way, Dr. Kim, we have changed our mind. And now you can have your meeting. Now, all our prayers don't end up like that, do they? I could probably ask any of you here to say, well, Craig, that didn't happen for me. Doesn't always end up good. We've been doing a class on Wednesday night. This last Wednesday night, we, we started it. And uh, Tim Tebow's a video, where he's talking about a story where he was on a plane and he was asked to come to the back of the plane and pray for this uh, lady's husband who was dying. And he prayed with her for like, you know, a couple of hours before the plane landed. Then the plane landed and they took the guy to the hospital and within an hour or so, the man died. But as I was listening to his story, I'm going, well, it's Tim Tebow. You know it's going to have a great outcome. But it didn't. But the, in the process, he talks about all these things that God did in the process, even though this man died. He got to know this lady that was his wife and her friend. He got to know all these things about them, and they got to know him better. And there was just a lot of great things that came out of this, even though it was, it was tragic. So God does work for the good of those who love him, doesn't he? We have to believe that. We have to know that. And the outcomes of prayers are not always like we want. But I do believe Jesus is asking us to practice a persistence in prayer that leads us to understand much clearer his kingdom and his righteousness and what that is all about. My prayer life and your prayer life may need some improvement. I know mine does. Because the problem is, is that I don't necessarily get away from these other distractions of life and close the door and push all those away and say, God, I need to talk to you. I try to just, a quick prayer here, a quick prayer there, before a meal, before whatever. And God wants us to really take some time and get to know him. Share what we're really feeling, what we're really thinking, and listen to him speak to us about his kingdom and about his will. Well, this morning, maybe you can start that. Maybe you can use the Acts thing. I had somebody come up... Uh, it had something to be great that we can use this morning. There's other things you can use to help you with your prayer life. There's books. There's all kinds of things. Even if you started with the Lord's Prayer and just simply said that God alone and prayed that would be a powerful thing. So I want to encourage us to do that. But maybe somebody here today needs to name Jesus as their Lord and Savior for the first time and start that relationship. And it starts with surrender. And there's a persistence in it that God wants us to do. And I know there's at least three folks that are coming today to give their lives to Christ and be baptized, and we're excited. But there might be somebody else here today. And y'all, maybe you have a decision that you want to join our church. We are a church that believes in prayer, and we pray for these things. Those, I just told you, I said, hey, fill out this prayer card on the back of the thing, and we'll read it on Mondays. I can tell you, we spend probably at least an hour every Monday morning praying for those things. And I am so thankful that y'all fill them out. And some of y'all, guess what? You are extremely persistent. Some of them, as soon as I see the name on the, and I flip them over, I go, I know what this is about. They've been asking us to pray for this for literally weeks and months. And that means a lot to know that you're being persistent. That reminds me of exactly what Jesus said. Some of y'all are doing that. You're being persistent. And I know it's hard to write out the whole thing going, I'm writing this out and being specific. But we welcome those. And we do go to the Lord and we ask him. We want to be persistent in prayer for you as you would for us. And we're a church that believes in the power of prayer. So Kevin's going to lead us in a song. These guys are going to lead us in a song. And uh, if you have a decision to make this morning, we ask that you come forward and we'll walk you through that. And we're looking forward to celebrate at least three baptisms today. So let's stand and sing together.